been working through the Psalms of Ascent. It is a series of Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134. We're up to Psalm 130. The Psalms of Ascent would typically be prayed or sung by those families who were on their way or way back from the festivals going up to the big hill in Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the temple. And they would sing these psalms, these series of psalms, and these psalms, I, don't, I, I mentioned it to somebody this week, these psalms in themselves are a discipleship class. As you, as you come to know them and learn them and have them in the arsenal of your heart. And this psalm that we come to, Psalm 130, it has the gospel. Luther called it a Pauline psalm because it, it points so clearly to Jesus even for 500,000 years before him. And while it is one of the psalms of ascent, it in, in, in itself can be called a psalm of ascent because it starts at the abyss of despair and it climbs to the height of hope. And so we're going to jump right into the deep end, the deep end of, of life, because that's right where this psalm starts. And as I read Psalm 130, listen to the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we stand before your word. May it, it sink into our bones. Guide all our thoughts and our hearts now. Guide my words as we stand before what you are speaking to us through your word. Lord, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We know depths. We're born into trouble. Eugene Peterson starts his chapter on this psalm saying, to be human is to be in trouble. Scott Peck started his very popular book decades ago, The Road Less Traveled, with the famous line, life is difficult. But I think this psalm captures, captures this better than any of those simple statements. Out of the depths, 
I cry. And, and the first act of life with our very first breath is to cry. And, and we, we all know suffering from our very first breath. Humans, humans suffer in ways that animals and the rest of creation doesn't. And this is no, in no way belittles the suffering of the rest of creation, but this is what I mean. Somehow, as human beings, we know that our suffering, it, it, it threatens the very meaning of our existence. Suffering is not just about discomfort. Suffering is a, is a threat to who we are. Everything is threatened by suffering, even finally meaning and, and, and purpose. And this psalm recognizes the ultimate source of our suffering. It recognizes that source as sin. All creation suffers as a consequence of sin in the world. And each of us participates in that with our own sin. And, and we know the co final consequence of sin is death. And that's what this psalm is ultimately focused on. In the end, all of us and all creation is in trouble. In, in today's society, we've come to a place where we've kind of lost that understanding of sin, and because of that, it's, it's hard to make sense of our suffering. When you're, when you're drowning underwater, all you want to do is find the air, not investigate the suffer, not investigate the water. And, and, and in our culture in particular, it, we are infatuated with, with happiness and, and power. And, and it becomes like we're trying to breathe in air while we're still underwater. And we're left without understanding suffering anymore. We don't have an understanding of sin and suffering anymore, ultimately because we don't have an awareness of God anymore. And, and the understanding that sin is a brokenness in our relationship with God. And behind everything, that's the final source of our suffering. The first thing this psalm does is give dignity to suffering, to our suffering. It, it takes suffering seriously. The psalm begins in pain. Out of the depths I cry. The psalm is called an anguished prayer by Peterson. It, it doesn't hide the, our, our suffering or our sin. And, and it does not explain it or solve it or justify our suffering. It just cries out. So, and it's so important because our, in our world, we are, we are not respected when we suffer. Even less are we respected for confessing our sin or our selfishness. Everyone's goal is to be perpetually happy and constantly healthy. And anything else is seen as just kind of a problem to be solved. Job's friend, remember Job, who all these things happened to him and friends came along and they sat with him for a while, but eventually... They couldn't stand it any longer, and they're con compelled to explain his suffering and, and to fix it somehow. And, and too often in our churches, we become just about self-help, and in essence, 
deny the reality of suffering and of sin, of crying out of the depths. And as a society, we put, a, we put so much of our hope in, in politics to fix everything and all the suffering. Do you remember years ago, all the hope that was put into Obama uh, that his election would end racial inequality and racism in our country? And then a few years later, the supporters of Trump chose him as the one who would take us back to better times. We put so much on, on politics and politicians, and they cannot take us from the depths to the heights. And the disappointment of that only sinks us deeper into the depths, and, and we are more conflicted and, and less hopeful in our country than any time since the Civil War. The ancient Israelites and, and Christians both acknowledge the reality of suffering and sin and, and don't exacerbate that with an effort to try to cover up or to bring quick explanations or cures. Neither do we celebrate suffering. We're not holy because we're hurting. There's something, there, there is some suffering that is useless, and, and that includes the suffering that comes with, from ignoring the reality of suffering or trying to take shortcuts around what we can only go through. But Christians know the story. We know the connections. Believers recognize the reality of the threat, of the destruction of everything, but we face it. And we live through it because we've also found a way of hope by which to deal with this, this enormous, looming threat. And, and the answers are in this psalm. Suffering has in it the threat that shows us again and again that we can't ignore it or manage our way out of it. And so we look Look, what else can we do? What is the way out? We look for hope. And this hope gives us all the resources we need in order to be able to wait, even while we're suffering. There is a gospel view of suffering. Suffering is real. Brokenness is everywhere. All of us know what it means to some degree to cry out from the depths but we cry out to the Lord. And then we have two key words in this psalm. We wait and we hope. We wait like watchmen and we, and we put our hope in the Lord. It's both contained in that first phrase. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This psalm immerses our suffering in God. It, it doesn't just take suffering seriously. It takes God seriously. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And, and when we face the hardest part of our reality, we have a place to go. And he's personal. And he hears us then this is what we find out about him. 
First, he redeems. He forgives us our sin, and he is full of mercy. And also, he is steadfastly loving. The the love of the Lord never ceases. He always comes to those who wait and hope. And we find out this is who he is in his being when we cry out of our depths. We really find out who God is when we suffer and turn to him and wait and hope. Peterson says, if God were different than he is, not one of us would have a leg to stand on. And especially when we understand our own sin. Our sin could so easily be all that we could see of ourselves. But because of his cross with all justice, we know that he sees us as his beloved and forgiven children. And knowing that frees us to see ourselves in a whole new way and free to to live in a whole new way, unselfishly and, and with hope. Suffering is real, and God is real. Here's the good news. Here's our hope. All of us have a God who hears our cries. Not not just from the depths, but in Christ, a God who hears us in the depths. Even the deepest of the depths, he is there with us, for he died on a cross for us. This is the way Peterson says it. In suffering, we enter the depths. We are at the heart of things. We are near to where Christ was on the cross. P.T. Forsyth wrote, the depth is simply the height inverted, as sin is the index of moral grandeur. The cry is not only truly human, but divine as well. God is deeper than the deepest depth in man. He is holier than our deepest sin is deep. There is no depth so deep to us as when God reveals his holiness in dealing with our sin. And so think more of the depth of God than the depth of your cry. The worst thing that can happen to a man is to have no God to cry to out of the depth. And so in our depths, he is with us, and he hears our cries. I'm going to come back to this thought. But we have to acknowledge our mortality and and our brokenness and our sin, and it's only out of the depths that we're going to cry out to the Lord. George MacDonald said, the Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his, that we would turn to the Lord. Knowing and trusting who it is that hears hears us, this is what we do. This This is the action we take. We wait and we hope. This is more than just a description of that reality, but, a, but the means of participating in that reality. Wait and hope. These words brought to mind something I learned when I was a child by surfing. I, I, 
We lived above Little Corona Beach when I was in elementary school, and I spent a good amount of my summers in the waves, and especially body surfing and boogie boarding. And I was a strong swimmer, and my parents trusted me, so I was, I was out there all day long. But you quickly learn something in the waves. They are more powerful than you. And they will throw you around like a rag doll. And it's no use fighting them when you're doing it, when you're in them. Here's what you do. You wait. You wait. You let them spin you around like the dryer cycle in the depths so that you don't even know which, which way is up. You let them do that and you wait until they, the wave calms down, you hold your breath, and you wait. And until the wave passes and the water's calm, and then you can figure out which way is up, and then you, you shoot up and get a good breath before the next one comes in. I'm here, so it always worked. <laughs> this passage gives the image of a watchman in the, in, in the call to wait. This is, what, this is what a watchman does. A watchman is a very important person, but doesn't do very much. For a year, I was, while well, I was in seminary in Chicago, I was a night watchman on Saturday night, overnight shift on the college and seminary campus. Nothing ever happened. But I was there, and I did that for an entire year. I stayed awake. I studied. I learned, I visited, I gossiped till everyone else fell asleep, and I stayed awake. And I waited for the dawn. I waited for the day, and dawn always came. I wasn't in charge of the property. I, I just had a simple role to do, to watch and to wait. And if anything was to happen, I would call those who are in charge. Likewise, the psalmist is sure that the Lord is in charge. Peterson writes, waiting does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our, our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. We wait. We also hope. Hoping is, hoping is an act. It is doing the act of trusting. Hope is not dreaming. It's not just hoping something would happen. It is, it is a confidence and an awake expectation that God will do what he said he will do. Peterson says it is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let him do it his way and in his time. It's the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That's not hoping in God, but bullying God. James Boyce, in his sermon on this psalm, speaks of what it means to wait on God, to hope in God. Earlier in the psalm, we, we see that forgiveness is 
already present to those who will receive it. And this waiting on God, this hoping, is not merely a waiting for the suffering to end. It's, it's so much more than that. Waiting on God means what it says. We wait for the fullness of God's presence. The fullness of intimacy with Him. A thousand years after this psalm was written, we have a much greater understanding of what the psalmist is actually waiting for. It is Jesus. The Word become flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Savior and Redeemer. He has come and we know Him. And even as He's ascended to heaven, He's left the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, so that God is still fully present with believers now. But we also know that in this waiting, there's a, there's a not yet. What we see or, or who we see only through a glass dimly now, we will see face to face either when we join him in heaven or in when he comes in the fullness of time. We know what it is to wait. We wait for the Lord. Like the watchman waits for the morning. And we wait full of hope, trusting that God does what he, says he said he does. He forgives those now who will receive it now and we'll be with him in the fullness of time. And that changes everything for us now. It changes everything for us now. The, the psalmist ends no longer focused on his own pain, but he focuses on others. He, that they would know and receive the good news he's witnessed to, the good news that is available to everyone. Jesus has come to the depths and made a way for us to the heights. When we ourselves are in the depths, we cry out to the Lord and can know that he's near to help us. I gotta say, Psalm 130, this psalm, this is essential equipment. I, I can imagine carrying this psalm with, with those who are out on the streets working with the homeless. This is, this is the stuff. This is the good news. This is the essential equipment for the person, for all of us who suffer. It's not answers or advice, it, but it's a reminder that our place in the depths is not removed from God. It's meaning and purpose and love, they are not lost in our suffering. And that's and that God's final word will not be our suffering, but his final word will be our redemption. Peterson says, I love how he says this, the depths have a bottom. The heights, the heights are boundless. Knowing that, we, we can wait and we can hope. Wherever you find yourselves, whatever depths you find yourselves in or see others in, we can wait 
and hope. And God is given room to work, our, work out our salvation and to grow our faith while we fix our attention on his presence, his steadfast love, and his salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, out of the depths, we cry to you. God, the amazing thing, the amazing hope is that you hear our voice. God, thank you that our cries are not left unheard. And though, <laughs> though we, we don't always have things in our own way according to our own wishes or plans and in our own timing, we trust in you. For you are the God of redemption and love. And we thank you that we truly, no matter what depths we find ourselves in, can see in Jesus that redemption and your presence with us. And we can wait and hope. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.